Welcome to another episode of Crash Chords Autographs. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. And before we get into this week's episode, I, as always, would like to thank my patrons, Rob, Case, and MJ. If you would like a shout-out at the top of the show, go to patreon.com slash stormageddon, and you too can join the folks supporting me. All of the money that uh, comes through my Patreon goes to support this and the other podcasts I work on, as well as it has a bunch of other cool rewards depending on the tier you pick. Um, but enough about that. I want to get into this week's episode as quick as possible because it is the one, the only, the living legend, Schaefer the Dark Lord. Um, I'm really happy to have Schaefer on the show. He has been a guest on the now on hiatus Crash Chords podcast. Um, and I've been wanting to do an interview, a full length interview with him for a long time now. So I'm really excited to have him on the show. We chat about a variety of different things. Um, you can also go to his Patreon, which I believe is just patreon.com slash uh for the dark lord and uh throw some money that way too he'll tell you more in the episode itself but enough of my rambling here is my episode with schaefer the dark lord Schaefer, it's awesome to chat with you. How are you doing, buddy? Oh my goodness, Stormageddon. It's great <laughs> to be here. I am doing okay. <laughs> yes, do the entire interview like I have you at gunpoint and forcing you to talk to me. That'll that'll be perfect. Oh, you want your audience to see behind the curtain, do you? <laughs> um, I'm so excited to finally have you on the interview show. Um it's uh, as I said in a text recently. It's been five years since you did the phone interview for the review podcast, which feels like an age ago at this point. For the wait for the re- which one was that? So we did we reviewed um, Beastie Boys, and then you had to leave to go to a K Flay concert. So we did the interview via via phone call after the fact, and I pieced it together. Oh, okay, right. Because I yeah, I remember recording that in person. So yes. I, that's I. I was I felt like I hadn't done that on phone, but that's right. We did uh, we we caught up afterward to do the we, interview portion because I had too many thoughts about check your head. <laughs> uh, my favorite quote from Steve was how he initially insulted you by saying that he thought check your head was okay, but only because he thought your record at the time was better. I mean, he still thinks that, uh, and Aww. I enjoyed that. I thought that was a fun moment. Um, so. I'm excited to have you on. You've had many an album and many a song since then. Um, you've also, within the last few years, focused super hard on 100% devoting your time to the nonsense you call rap music that I love that you do. Um, <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> um, I guess let's start by talking about the Patreon and what it's like to shift from having a day job and touring when you can to touring with with friends whenever they ask you and now putting out songs more frequently um, via Patreon. Has that been more pressure, less pressure, more fun, less fun? You know, when, when Patreon really started taking off, when all of my peers started launching Patreons, I... I resisted for a long time because I didn't want to feel beholden to an audience. I didn't, I didn't (laughs) want to to have a schedule that was um, based on a financial obligation with my audience. I, um, I always kind of, I, I work slowly. I work at my own rate and I, I, I didn't want that additional uh, pressure. Um, Right. And then I quit my day job and then I launched a Patreon because it's the law. I, you, <laughs> it's the rule. If you're, go- if you're going to be an independent musician and, and try to make this sustainable, you have you just have to have a Patreon. It has to be a key component. It used to be CDs and T-shirts and now it's a Patreon and a bunch of other nonsense. Um, <laughs> and it's it's. I, I guess I have mixed feelings about it. it they're mostly positive. I've, I've enjoyed... Um, the structure because uh, I desperately need structure and not having a day job makes it uh, difficult for me to, you know, buckle down and, and create things. But now I have this regular monthly schedule and I've, I've fallen into a rhythm and that has been very beneficial to me. Um, as far as I, I, I don't feel, I guess, quite as beholden as I anticipated that I would feel having a Patreon. Um, but I feel that that also has given me 
kind of structure because now I will create things more regularly, whereas before I would wait for inspiration to strike me, or, or rather I would tell myself I'm waiting for inspiration <laughs> to strike me and sure. so, I can, so I can finish a video game. Um, whereas now I'm like, well, I, I have the tools in me to create a song every month. I just now I have an actual hard schedule to get that done. And uh, I feel that I have uh, I have benefited from from having it. And I, I kind of I, I'm really enjoying the relationship that I have with my patrons um, as somebody who has said, you know, kind of scathing things about his fan base from time to time. I don't really <laughs> I don't really feel so strongly uh, to, it, it, that way anymore. I mean, I've been friends with you long enough uh, to see how some of your fans react. So, you know, scathingness aside, I, I get some of that. Uh, some of that. Um, well, look, but... to be fair, every time I have said I have I have condemned my audience, it was really I was just I was it was misdirected anger that I had about myself. And I just Aww. took it out on these good people who have supported me for, shoot, like over a decade now. Yeah, it's it's been it's been awesome to watch your trajectory, especially once we became friends, like knowing you as a performer and then becoming friends and seeing your evolution and all of the cool stuff that you've done from the Epic podcast and to from hosting and like now with uh, in just what from the time this airs two months, we will be going into the fifth Tasselmania, like that's right. Just just seeing these kinds of things come and how you've created um, a, a branding of Schaefer the Dark Lord for yourself that works in a way for you the way you want it to has been really cool. Um, I I have to give the shout out as a patron of yours that my favorite thing you've put out so far is your rap song about slow walkers in New York. Really, uh, that was your that was your favorite one. Well. Thank you. I, I felt like I didn't get a lot of feedback from that one, and I was pretty psyched about that one, so thank you. I mean, I like it because as a New Yorker who works currently in Union Square but has worked all over Manhattan, um, nothing drives me more crazy than slow-walking tourists in New York City. Mm -hmm. So it just spoke sure. to me on a level that I don't know that I could even translate to somebody else. <laughs> that song was kind of uh, – it was kind of inspired not – not musically or lyrically, but I think conceptually it was a little inspired by a Tom Waits song. Um, and I'm going to, I'm probably wrong about the title here, but uh, I think the song was called what's he building in there. And it's not really, it's just kind of a soundscape and, and it's almost like Tom Waits is just reading this story where he's watching his neighbor uh, next door. Who's doing something. He's like futzing about in his garage and he's just kind of, almost paranoid trying to imagine what it is that this neighbor of his is doing. And I, in, instead of just writing a song being very angry about people who walk slowly on the sidewalk, I, I tried to like inject it with some of that and try to theorize like, all right, well, these people are walking slow, but why, what is it? <laughs> Where are they going? Why are they stalling? Is there and and uh, so I, yeah, I used, I used Tom Waits for in inspiration on that. Uh, and it did not end up, at all like anything Tom Waits had made, but that <laughs> would have been a little on the nose if it had. I've, I suppose so. I mean, also, though, you're not one to shy away from leaning into your influences or even doing direct covers of songs that might be even a little far afield from what one would expect of you. Like on uh, Junk Drawer Volume 2, if I recall correctly, you did In the Air Tonight as a cover on <laughs> yeah. that. And like... As someone who's been listening to your stuff for a while, the minute I got to that song, especially since it's right near the end of the album before Rescue Me, which is a great song that you do with Broadway Brassy, the, the, that song came out of nowhere. And the, the way, like, how is is that a song that you've loved for a while and you just wanted to do your own take on? Is it something that you just heard and, like, randomly said, hey, let's try have fun with this? Like, what was the inspiration for doing a cover like that, which is so different from a lot of the other music you do? Uh, yeah, I've, I've always liked that song. I was, you know, a child of the eighties. And, and yeah. so I, I grew up when Phil Collins was in his prime and, uh, I, yeah, I, I always liked that. I liked how it's, it's got the most irresistible drum break in the history of music. That is fact. Like there, there, there is nobody who will not air drum along with the, when the, when the drums finally come in at the like six minute mark or whatever in this, in this, in this epic song. 
And I don't know why I thought to cover it. I, I didn't have a, a really deep emotional attachment to the song, but I think in my head, I think I'm a better singer than I am. <laughs> so when I, I listen to songs that I like and when I sing along with them in my head, I'm like, oh my God, my pitch is amazing. I can, this is right. <laughs> I, I'm always telling myself, this is right in my range. And then I sit down and start recording it and realize that I, I, either it's not in my range or really not as good of a singer as I, as I thought I was. Um, but I, I thought that, uh, I could have fun with that, with that big drum break and thought I could sing it. And that vocally like record recording that song was about the most challenging song that I've recorded in the last five years. Oh, was, wow. It was like five or six sessions because, uh, it was, it, it's really hard to uh, sing well when you're not using, when you're not just singing along to something you like and, um, and you're faced with the reality of how compromised or limited your singing skills actually are. <laughs> but I, and I almost gave up several times on it, but I, I saw it through to the end. Um, it was, it was kind of frustrating because it was, because as for as excited as I was about that drum break, you know, I, I, I didn't have drums at the time. So I had to play them like on a MIDI keyboard with my fingers. And that was not as satisfying for me <laughs> as it may be for the audience. Well, especially considering you are an actual drummer who has drummed in many a band, as I recall, correct? Yeah, that is correct. Um, oh, would you, you like a scoop? Would you like a scoop, Stormageddon? I, I would love a scoop. Do you have one for me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a scoop. <laughs> this is the first time I've publicly acknowledged this exciting development in my life. I just got an electronic drum kit. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, I've... I've I, I mean, probably going back as far as recording in the air tonight or even <laughs> earlier than that, I've I've often wanted to be able to um, record live drum tracks for for songs that I'm working on. But, um, you know, there's a rehearsal studio near my apartment where I'll go and play sometimes. But recording drums is incredibly difficult and requires more microphones than I have. And uh, and just playing them with my fingers on a keyboard is not very satisfying. So I got an electronic drum kit, which is going to make it much more uh, easy for me to both practice at home and also track drums at home because if, if I'm just managing a stereo signal out, it's a lot easier. Um, and I've only had this thing for about a week and it has awakened something that was dormant <laughs> inside me for all of these years and it makes me want to redo in the air tonight, but I'm not possibly doing that. <laughs> uh, well, that's awesome. And so do you think in, in songs and records going forward, you're going to do a lot more like recorded drum tracks on the electronic drum set? Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I'm, I've, I'm in the very early stages of a new full-length record, and I plan to incorporate actual you know, live drumming as much as possible throughout the whole thing um, because I feel like I just, you know... I have a, I, you know, you have skills that you master at one point in your life and then they just kind of go away and you don't really uh -huh. need them. Like, and I've, I've got a couple of these dumbass skills. Like I can juggle, but I never have any application for <laughs> juggling. I, and it's not very satisfying to do for myself. It's something that definitely requires attention. I can't really do that. But drumming is, is the, is my instrument. And as a musician, I felt like I needed some way to, uh, exploit that and, and, and I don't know, sort of refresh my relationship with playing a live instrument. And it is so far, I'm, again, it's, it's, it's kind of early, but so far it's uh, doing wonders for my, my relationship with music. That's awesome. I, I think that that's important when, especially when you've been doing something, the same thing for over a decade, finding new ways to grow it and or to reframe it, to reinvigorate yourself is, is always super important. Um, yeah. So you said you're in the early stages of a new record. Um, do you have anything, any songs finished, a trajectory for a record, a plan, or are you just kind of, it's the very beginnings, kind of like starting to put stuff together? You get one scoop per <laughs> podcast. Fair enough. No, Fair no, enough. no, 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 I, I, I can tell you. I, um, well, I, I had some songs that I had started working on last year that were, that were intended to be a part of this record. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you too much. I'm not giving you a, a full scoop, but it is a concept album. Oh, excellent. Um, and I like right after right after the new year, I got really inspired and I started writing a lot uh, of notes for it. And I think um, 
you know, I didn't finish this thought a, bit, a minute ago, but one of the kind of um, the negative aspects of Patreon is that every month I'm I'm kind of hustling to get a new song out and create all of these supplemental materials. It's, it's kind of like making of videos and things for this song that I can make exclusive to my patrons. And that's great, but it also means that I'm not currently working on a record that because the time that I would spend you know, writing and recording um, material for the record, I have to spend every month uh, cranking out another track for for Patreon. So a thing that I have now kind of discovered that I'm going to be doing going forward is I'm going to be working on songs for the record and putting them on Patreon, but disguising them oh, by by sneaky. recording them by recording them over different beats that won't feature on the album and making lyrical tweaks here and there, so that I'm not really giving away what the concept album is about. Uh, and I started it this month. I, I released a song that is that is slightly disguised, but is is absolutely uh, intended as a, a a narrative chapter for the album that I'm working on. And I think that a lot of my Patreon content going forward is going to be like that so I can kind of make the most of my time. Well, that's awesome. And I mean, it also it's kind of fun for the patrons, too, because they'll get a sneak peek while still being able to then when the full record comes out, get that still fresh experience of the record, even though they've taken a peek behind the curtain. Yeah, that's that. And that's kind of the idea that they're going to get they're going to get kind of this, um, you know, special version of things that that I mean, ultimately probably won't be re-released. They'll probably always be exclusive. Uh, to them and and I feel like uh, I've made so much of my patreon content um, really about the process of of making stuff that this is a kind of a larger scale version of that they're gonna see the the process of me writing a record they just might not know that they're watching me write a record <laughs> that's that's actually very cool I dig that a lot um I also I love that like with my experience with your Patreon, you also released a uh, an update to a song that is probably one of your one of your oldest live performed songs, which is of course Cat People, uh, a fan yes. favorite, um, with <laughs> an album cover that's pure nightmare fuel. <laughs> <laughs> with you. you having Roger, is that Roger's head on that's, your body? That is that is Roger. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, was the updating that track something where you just wanted to start doing it live again and wanted to try something different? Oh, no, I never. It wasn't a matter of wanting to do that song live again. I never stopped doing that. Well, song. that's There's, true. There is no song in the history of my career that I have performed as many times or for as long as that one. And I was, you know, up until last year, I was still using the original instrumental that I had from, you know, when I first you know, banged out in Pro Tools free in San Francisco <laughs> 15 years ago. Um, and I, I started realizing that the, the kind of the, the energy of the performance, um, well, the energy of the instrumental did not match the other material in my set. And so uh, though it was like a, a crowd favorite material that I would always close a set with, it just felt like when I would get to the end, it felt like here's a bunch of new, fresh stuff that I'm excited about. And, and here's me, you know, earning my, earning my keep again by right. playing this, this song that will, that always gets a reaction from an audience. And I just felt it was time, uh, since the song wasn't about to go anywhere, I felt that it was time that I needed something new. And Vince Vandal, my dude came through with a, with a, a new beat and absolutely, uh, reinvigorated my relationship with that song and it's uh, it's a lot of fun to do again I mean it was always fun to do I never got too down on it but it just <laughs> felt it just felt stale when I was doing you know more recent songs and and now I'm really excited about it again that's awesome well and it's good that you bring up Vince Vandal as I do want to talk about Department of Darkness your collaboration with the incredible Vince Vandal um, what's interesting to me about Department of Darkness is you could look at it as a Schaefer fan is just like, oh, it's another Schaefer record because you do all, all of the rapping. Um, I think Vince has like one voiceover line in one track. <laughs> wow. Good catch. I'm glad you noticed that. <laughs> I did, of course. I'm a bit of a music nerd. I don't know if you know that about me. I I've, I read your LinkedIn. <laughs> um, but what's really interesting to me listening to that record is I, someone who's been listening to your stuff for a while, and I'm sure a lot of your other listeners will notice that it, it is different. It doesn't, it doesn't exactly feel like a Schaefer record. It feels like something new. Um, how long were you and Vince working on that 
uh, record. Is that something that have you guys always wanted to collaborate in that way to do a full record together? Well, I think Vince and I had worked together so much for so long. Um, I, I, I don't remember exactly when it started, but I think it was he's he's done these two albums um, called Friends and Fandoms yes. where he he creates a beat. And then um, unlike like I think conventional collaborations I've done with other producers, they'll they'll give you like a folder full of beats and say, if there's anything here you like, it's all yours. Take it. Write some raps over it. Blah, blah, blah. And. Vince's projects were much different in that he would he would create a beat, but he would already have the MC that he wanted on each song uh, in mind. So he would send them these finished beats to specific people and say, this is the song. I want you on it and you can write whatever you want. But the title that I've given it is going to stay the same. So uh. he would he would send you a song and say, like, do what you want with this. But you have to fit these parameters. And I loved that because. It felt it was it was a very different type of collaboration than than I was used to. And and again, I liked the structure. I liked the sort of discipline of of having parameters to work within. Um, so we I, I did a song for his first um, friends and fandom. And I think after that, I we did the sex rhymes record, which was a little bit more of me barking orders um, and saying, like, I need a song that feels like this. And this is going to be this song. And I need this and this and this. And, and, and we worked together even very well during that process but i think it before we did the department of darkness record he was gearing up for his second friends of fandom album and he sent me a beat and said i want you to write something over this and you can write whatever you want but the title has to remain i hate people <laughs> and amazing that that was great it was it was the easiest homework assignment <laughs> i've ever been given um, and so we we did that song and it was just we didn't release it. We kind of slept on it and then started talking about making some more and doing um, doing a full album of collaborations. And then I think at some point during the process, we realized that um, that it was we we work together very differently than he does with other MCs or I do with other with other producers and that it felt much more like a band. It felt like a, a much more fully collaborative project. And I thought that it would be kind of foolish at that point to have another record that was just it's a shape of the dark lord record and then in parentheses produced by vince vandal because it felt that kind of diminished his input on the thing and so we right we came up with this idea to do an album um that was fully collaborative and just packed it full of all of our like called in all of our favors with all of our all of our rapper friends to see how many guests we could get on the record and uh they turned out it was great um i'm very 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 happy with how that record turned out yeah it's incredible i mean the first of all going getting to go to magfest last year in uh 2019 and seeing mm. you guys perform as a duo on stage and perform a ton of the feature tracks because most of those folks were there was kind of mind-blowing um, especially my highlights are um, the song you do with Frontalot on the record, mostly because I didn't realize it was about Tom and Jerry until you brought <laughs> audience participation on stage to play the defendant, the plaintiff and the defendant. It was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> which was great. It's, a, um, it's called uh, Overruled. Yeah. And we right. play um, the attorneys for Tom and Jerry. And uh, yeah, we do this bit on stage where we bring up audience members and have them act I don't know this that whole bit is Damien's. That's all that's all fun a lot. He was he was one that's like, let's get audience participation. And I I resisted it because I always I don't know. I'm always nervous about you know being put on the spot as an audience mm -hmm. member. I don't like it when people put pull me up, but uh the people like and the many times we've done that, and we've done it on tour too, uh yeah, people really respond. They really get into <laughs> pretending they're a cat and a mouse on stage. It's so great. It so was so good. It. Um, but I have uh, to I have to say one of the strongest tracks though on the record is probably Witch Hunt for me uh, for a oh. lot of obvious reasons. First of mm -hmm. all, it's some of the most badass MCs in the history of rap music are on that on that track with you. Um, but just like seeing all of you do it live and the anger and the and the catharsis and the and the the musicality all on stage was freaking phenomenal. Is that is are the Department of Darkness songs the same kind of idea that like you and Vince had but for everybody like you guys sent the features the tracks and like this is the track this is the title put in your verses yeah yeah we yeah we would have 
mostly completed tracks uh, of the two of us and we would all we knew who we wanted for each song um before we sent it and in in instead of i think like um a lot of my peers and i tend to send one another little like chunks of songs because we get excited and we want to work with one another we'll send like kind of a, a an incomplete chunk and say like this mm-hmm. is this is where this is going if you have any ideas we'd love to hear it um but with i kind of like followed vince's business model with that one like every one of those songs we knew exactly who we wanted on it but we would send them almost a complete song uh before they got it uh like w- there'd be a completed hook there would be you know this is how many bars you have and this is what you this is what you have to convey in in this number of bars um and witch hunt was was probably the best example of that because we wrote to the the three guest MCs on that and said like um you know in your verse uh, you are going to be kind of taking on this celebrity male archetype who has said disparaging things about uh whatever scandal they find themselves in by you know describing it as a witch hunt so you would have they would have to like acknowledge somehow that male celebrity archetype while also we we kind of divvied up like here are three different types of torture that were actually used on women during the salem witch trials um you get this one you get burned at the stake you get tied to a chair and thrown in a lake you get a board on top of you with a bunch of rocks so we we gave them like like very kind of detailed instructions and everybody on that song like went above and beyond what was expected of them yeah and it's great because we got to yeah when we get to do that at you know at magfest i mean kind of the the amazing thing about having all these like nerd rapper friends is that you know we can all work together despite being separated by time zones and and we can all work together on the internet but we all always end up with songs that we love and can't perform live because we don't always have 15 of our guests with us on tour (laughs) right but then when we find ourselves at these you know music festivals like magfest and south by um and we get to like cash all of those in and, and say like well who's here wreck the systems here which means lady j's here and then just start making a list of, of who's available and also <laughs> who is willing to relearn that song that they had recorded a year ago <laughs> and um that that was i mean i don't think i've ever done a show anywhere and had that many guests on stage over the course of a set and that was it was amazing i was i was humbled by how much everybody turned out for that i also do appreciate how you and uh vince had matching outfits and that your guests also coordinated for some of those uh performances <laughs> yeah we we mentioned it to him in an email like vince and i absolutely coordinated outfits for it <laughs> because we de- we decided that red and black is the color scheme of the department of darkness right but i don't think we i, I think we might have mentioned at the email like vince and i are going to be wearing red and black but you know wear whatever you want and everybody did everybody did it everybody <laughs> like showed up in red and black and a couple of blazers in there too it was amazing yeah i mean you know i know that like lex showed up in a blazer and like lex will rock out her fashion anytime she can in any set she always looks awesome so i was unsurprised by that when she turned up in a blazer for sure um (laughs) that yeah that that was my first mag fest and i wasn't unfortunately able to go in 2020 but i'm hoping to go next year but like it just kind of blew my mind the kind of night that vince curated of music it was a little insane the art the insane artistry that was in that room that night and in the crowd oh yeah it wasn't it wasn't even yeah it wasn't even just our set it was like there were like seven great acts on that bill and then yeah half the audience were just other performers you know yeah, I remember uh, being in the front row and like I turn to my left and Samus is next to me and I say hi and we chat a little. But like it was one of those moments where it's like, oh, yeah, like all y'all are fans of all, each other. And that that's what makes this music so great. Well, Vince pulled all of that. I Nobody comes out to see me. But people were like, oh, I, I'm excited to see Vince. And that was also Vince's first time ever doing anything on stage. He's he's per, he's worked with. Like basically everybody in nerdcore yeah the past many years but he has never really done anything on stage and i feel like that was the big draw of it everybody's like they're already tired of my nonsense but <laughs> they, they they came out to see they came out to see the boy 
Yeah, and, and it was pretty cool to see, too. Um, I want to shift the conversation a little bit, because uh, by the time this airs, you will already be on tour with everyone's favorite rap nice guy, the incredible MC Lars. Um, oh, shoot, are you serious? Yes. Oh, yeah, it's, it's tight. That's tight. That's tight. That's, that's tight. tight. That's, that's tight. tight. That's tight. Oh, I love that dude so much. It's beyond explanation how great he is to everyone he knows. It's kind of unbelievable. Um, I'm very excited to see the two of you play together because I don't know that I've seen the two of you on tour together. I feel oh, like wow. I feel like, or maybe I've seen you at least once, maybe open for him in Brooklyn. But I feel like I ha- it's been a while if I have. Um, yeah. And so I'm really excited about that. You've done a bunch of tours last year and this year. Um, so the 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 title of this tour is the baby yoda campaign tour am i correct uh yeah i think he called it the baby yoda campaign 2020 tour yes uh i i don't know (laughs) (laughs) that's that's what that's what he called it i Um, think he as 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 he is uh an indomitable positive spirit at all times I think he was uh, acknowledging that Baby Yoda is the the one thing across social media that has been that has been universal in everybody's enjoyment. It's it's the one thing that is not divisive. That's and, definitely uh, true. That, so that would it would make sense that that he would uh, he would zero in on that to brand his tour with it. Um, but I, I wanted to talk a little bit about this tour and just touring in general. Does it feel different touring now that you're not doing the day job thing and you're free to kind of go on longer tours if you want? Um, is Do you find it more enjoyable, less enjoyable? Um, it's Yeah, it's very different. Uh, it's... Uh, it's more enjoyable. It's more it's more satisfying now. Um, it's... Uh, it, it feels... It's a lot more pressure now, too. But it... It, that's also more rewarding. It, it used to be, you know, I had this day job for, for many years and I would have a limited amount of time off that I could take every year. And so a number of my friends would ask me to go on tours, but I had to be very selective. I had to turn down tours in, in hopes that there would be something maybe a little bit better around the corner <laughs> or, or I, you know, I would like kind of block out all of my touring time at the beginning of the year, knowing that this one thing was coming up. Um, and then, and yeah, and I would, I would have to, to turn things down, but I would o- always go out and it, it would always feel like kind of more of a vacation from my day job and, and more of, uh, um, more of, I felt more like a hobbyist doing it. And, <laughs> right. la- you know, last year, I mean, since I, since I quit my job, um, I have done, I've done three U S tours since then. I've, I've spent about 12, I spent about 12 weeks of last year on the road. And it's it's different now in that I can I can do all of the trips that I want to and I can, you know, I can hit a city and not, you know, end the set by saying, like, thank you for coming out. I'll see you again in five years. <laughs> right. Um, but it, it it also, you know, it's it's not like I'm just it's just a fun kind of escape now. It's it's my job. It's and it's a, it's the hardest job that I've ever had. It's the most demanding job that I have ever had. But when it when it pays off, it's more satisfying than any job that I've ever had. So it's it's different. It's it's more serious. Um, and uh, but it feels better now. I have to imagine you get a certain level of extra enjoyment out of the fact that like this is what you're you're an artist. You're touring and this is your job and you're doing your job. And I'm sure when it's great, it's great. And of course, when it's not, it's not. I did enjoy that when you were on tour with Lex and MC Chris you and Lex were driving together and you would do random live streams from on yeah. Facebook and like take questions and interact with your fans, which I thought was a really cool, fun idea. Is that something that you see yourself doing more in the future if you're traveling with a companion on tour? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, a large, um, you know, I, I think a big, another like kind of element that is different now versus um, being like kind of a weekend warrior with a day job is that, the the connection with with the audience is much more crucial and and um and also more like kind of satisfying now so again i want to apologize for all of the disparaging things i said about <laughs> you all of it. no uh um but but that was yeah that was you know we would be able to spend um a lot of time kind of hands on with the with our audiences at the shows and then yeah when we would do kind of live streams from the from the van that was also um, a way to kind of stay in 
touch with the people who had supported us the night before, as well as hype up the people who were going to be there the following night or the night after. Uh, so it felt like it, 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 it felt kind of calculated in that it was an, yet another marketing element for, for this job, but it also, it felt nice to, to give back because it felt, um, like I, I keep saying, it felt more, it feels more rewarding and it does, but it, it also makes the appreciation that much richer when, uh, when I do want to kind of give something back to my audience. Um, I know that you uh, often when engaging with your audience will take suggestions and make jokes and all of that stuff. I'm curious about, since you've been touring so much, do you find the need to change up your set list more since you've been on more tours? Or do you tend to keep it the same uh, from tour to tour within <laughs> a certain year? Uh, you know, it, because I keep going out so so frequently, I try to have a different set uh, every tour. And I always think at the beginning of the tour that I'm going to mix it up every night. And, I, and I've toured with people. <laughs> I've toured with people who mix it up every night. Like, I don't think Lex did the exact same set twice. Oh, wow. Five weeks together. I mean, it was like, obviously, she was like pulling from a lot of the same songs, but it was just kind of a different order. And she would kind of cater her set to whatever the, the feeling of the room was. I thought I was going to do that for like the first two shows. And then it was like, I've got a really polished 35 minute set that I know will make an audience happy every time. And so I think by the time I was in the third show, I was like, this is my set for the tour. <laughs> um, the, the, the sort of stand up bits that I would do in between would remain mostly the same, but those have a little bit more wiggle room and those I could kind of cater a little bit more to each room and kind of punch up with more crowd work. But the but the set would stay virtually the same. And now, you know, as I'm getting ready to go out with Lars again, I'm kind of laboring over the set that I want to do because I write out all of the potential songs that I could do. And I, I've got a, I write down a set list where I'm like, oh, this is a tight set. Yes, it's tight and polished because that's the set that I just did for five weeks. <laughs> and I'm hitting a lot of the same cities. So I got to give them something new. So, uh, you know, I probably won't know what my set is until like an hour before the first show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> usually when I make that decision, I take everything with me and then labor in the green room trying to decide what it's going to be. Um, and I imagine since you're touring with Lars and both of you have a ton of um, features on each other's work, do you? Mm -hmm. how do you decide what features to do in each other's sets? Obviously, besides just the songs that you've released on your own albums, um, how, is that kind of how you separate out like what to do like the Schaefer songs where Lars featured will be in your set and then the Lars songs where you featured will be in his set or do you mix it up that is the way it conventionally works yeah. um you know like when I tour with front a lot the songs where I'm a guest are songs that appear in his set and the songs where he's a guest appear in my set that's that's typically how we do it with Lars is a little bit different because only um, and, and, and we're putting together this we've or we have put together this album that we're going to sell um, on the road. That's just a, a collection of all of the collaborations we've done over the years, plus one new song and two of only two of those songs have been released by me. And I don't think <laughs> we're going to do either of those on tour because one of them is a song called Monsters of Rock that was released 11 years ago that we have never performed live. Ever. Oh really? You've ne you guys have never a, done that live. Never, not even once. There was a, there, <laughs> there was talk about doing it at a Nerdapalooza a million years ago, and it just didn't happen. And so we just never did it. And I just kind of, even after we toured together, I I never really considered it because that would make room for another song of mine that I could potentially sell some CDs. <laughs> um, and 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 so that song never got done. The other song that I've released that was a collab was. Uh, from the Department of Darkness, a song called oh, right. World, of, World on Fire. And that one would be probably easier to do, but it's 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 slow and it's so dark and it's such a downer. And I'm already the like <laughs> dark shadow to MC Lars's rainbow. And so since my set is already so much more sort of cynical and caustic, uh, that song's just like it's just too much. Mm -hmm. um, I feel I feel for a live show, um, especially to, after that to say like stick around for Lars <laughs> the, right <laughs> the, the the world ended because of heavily armed religious zealots but hey stick around he's gonna do the raven uh <laughs> it, it 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 just it it didn't feel like it was it had the right energy for the for our show um so there are I we learned that we have nine collaborations that we've we've 
been a part of over the years. And so we're going to do a couple of them on tour, but they're they're going to all be uh, during Lars's set. Gotcha. Uh, including the new song. But awesome. We'll probably at most, I think we'll end up doing three of them together because he's got a lot of material he wants to do on his own. I mean, do I? I mean, are you saying that MC Lars is prolific and puts out a ton of music? I don't I don't know that I understand. I that is that is precisely what I'm saying. It's very astute of you to pick up on yeah. the read between the lines on that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like every time I've I've mastered a no, the knowledge of a Lars album, like I know the lyrics and I really dig the track and I know it through and through, I've accomplished that and then there's another one. I'm like, "Awesome, more music, but also like it, it. I mean, I, and I've spoken to him a, a before about this stuff, but I feel like it must get exhausting. But I mean, then again, he's he is who he is because of what he does, I guess. So, he, let me tell you something. He <laughs> does not exhaust. It never, <laughs> it never ends. Stops. No, it doesn't. I've I've done three of the Mountain Nerdcore tours with him, and so I'm I'm especially interested in how this tour is going to play out because I feel like on those tours it was MC Lars, MC Front a lot, Mega Ran, and me. And I feel if you lined us all up, like at one end of the spectrum is just the like the just the angry crank who lives in the basement. <laughs> and at the fur for this other end of the spectrum is this like sparkly unicorn who is just like giving candy to all the children. And neither one of us get a whole lot done. <laughs> because in the middle we have two very like pragmatic parents in front a lot and Megaran who yeah. Who are very like business minded and and get us where we need to be and kind of keep both of our most defining personality characteristics in check. And now we're going to be touring together <laughs> with without our parents. Um, so I'm I'm excited to see how that plays out because he is he is always very optimistic and and excited about everything and I am almost always tired and grumbling. <laughs> I mean, one uh, would think you'll balance each other out, but who's to I, say? I'm, that's, that's what I believe. I believe that we will balance one another out and that we will find a nice um, uh, a nice working like sort of medium for both of us. And, and I don't have any doubt of that because like working together with him has is, is always been a treat and performing with him is always a joy and just spending time with him is great. Um, so I think, I, think that, I think that we'll be just fine. <laughs> um, you mentioned World on Fire a bit bef- before, and that is a track, for those who don't know, is actually about a video game, uh, which yeah. I was very excited to find out. It's about Far Cry 4? 5. 5. Far five. Cry 5. Um, and uh, and you've done some other gaming tracks. You haven't done a ton like some of your uh, contemporaries, but you've done a few. Um, but you are an avid video gamer, I know, and you do like video games, especially anything to do with Star Wars. Uh, yes. It's a fandom that runs deep. Um, do you have any plans to do any more gaming songs? I know you've been playing a lot more games. You've been posting about having played some more stuff and talking about it on the Epic podcast. Do you, do you plan on doing more video game related stuff? Uh, no, I, and I didn't really want, I didn't really want to do the Far Cry 5 song either. Um, Vince tricked me. (laughs) Oh no. Yeah. So Vince sent me this, sent me this instrumental that he had made and he was like, Hey, have you played Far Cry 5? And I said, no, I don't play a lot of first person shooters and doesn't really seem to appeal to me. It's like in the middle of this franchise and I haven't played the previous ones. And so no. And he's like, Oh, well, cause I made this beat out of some music that I sampled from it. And he sent me this beat and it was, it was just freaking amazing. And I was like, I was like, that's wonderful. Let's do something with that. But again, because Vince, you know, has like, (laughs) he has rules. He's got got rules. One of them was like, you've got to, I think you got to play the game first. And I, I agree that like, I don't, I mean, there's there's kind of this disparaging term in our community where we will refer to certain songs as wiki raps, yeah. where somebody's like, "Ooh, something is hot right now." So um, here's a list of a bunch of details from that song, from that like comic book or movie or video game or whatever, so we can like kind of pander to an audience that's really into that movie or comic book or video game. Sure. Uh, and I don't I don't write stuff like that. And I don't like stuff like that. And I I feel it's pretty transparently pandering when I when I hear it so when Vincent said like yeah we can put this beat on the record but like you know it's got it's got to like it's got to be about this video game um I wasn't a I I wanted the beat so bad (laughs) but I wasn't I wasn't gonna just wiki a bunch of details 
So I played like all 40 plus hours of that game just so that I would have like felt like I had earned the right to actually do that <laughs> song. And then along the way, I found, oh, I was treated to a surprisingly rich and, and wonderful story that I, I really appreciated. And then I spent, you know, after the completion of the game, I spent a few weeks writing you know, lyrics about this video game and then rewriting them to obscure anything that was a direct reference. I feel like when I when I do pop culture stuff, I try to write it in a way that's vague enough that somebody who is not familiar with the source material can still get a a, a uh, like a captivating narrative out of it. Um, but then the people who are in the know who have played the game will listen to it and they'll get this kind of like second layer of it where they'll realize like, I know what you're talking about. I know you're talking about these characters without me just reading all of the details, like saying, like, I'm not going to go through and read a wiki for Far Cry 5, but you get the point. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. That's that's um, so funny. I don't I don't I mean, there's a, I, I, I don't I try to avoid using words like never when it comes to my music. And, sure. and so, I mean, maybe someday I will find another video game that inspires me in a similar way that I can write a song that will have like a dual meaning. Um, but it's it's definitely low on my list of, of priorities. I mean, that's fair, and I feel like keeping some things that you like to enjoy separate from your work is also probably pretty healthy and a good idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, I know we talked offline quite a bit about um, Jedi Fallen Order, which is the most recent Star Wars game to come out, which I know you were a fan yes. of as well. Um, yes. Also aware that, you know, and we've talked about this in previous interviews, that your namesake comes from the Dark Lord of the Sith. Um, True. Did you... So, I don't want to spoil the end of the game. So, I'll just say, did you wet yourself when you got to that final moment of the game? Oh, you're damn right I did. I just had goosebumps on top of goosebumps. And I knew it was coming because I, um, you know, it's it, there was a, a, a very large concentration of Star Wars content for nerds at, at the end of last year. Yeah. And so I'm very hyper aware of where everything falls on the timeline. And while playing Jedi Fallen Order the whole time, I was like, he's he's going to show up in this thing. Yeah. Uh, he's he's going to show up. And even when he did, I was still not fully prepared I'm, i mean <laughs> it wasn't my favorite thing about whenever it, they employ him in video games is like however badass you think he is they will prove yeah. to you that you don't have a clue that he's even no, no. more terrifying yeah uh <laughs> yeah uh and and it it did it and i i mean that was one of those moments in a video game where I didn't mind how difficult it was, and I did not mind how many times I died during that fight because I just got to keep experiencing that awesome scene. Yeah. Um, uh, I loved that game. I know it gets a little a lot of ire on the internet, although then what doesn't from Star Wars these days? Uh, but Seriously. <laughs> um, I think you're the only person I know besides me who has spoken positively of the most recent movie, and I'll leave it at that. Um because I don't, I don't like on the internet. I haven't dared say anything about that just because I've seen how people react at this point. Let me just let me just say this about it. Uh, I am not a fair weather Star Wars fan. No, I, you're not. Absolutely. Not. I I I love it, and when it's at its very worst, I still love it. It's still home to me. The the sounds of Tie Fighters and lightsabers igniting. It's I I don't care. I I don't care if it's if everything isn't as great as like empire strikes back it's still it all all like the all of the the imagery and the sound design and the the musical cues throughout it it doesn't it just it hits a, a place in me every time so even in a bad star wars movie like i mean whatever a bad star wars movie is i solo or or Attack of the Clones, which I are probably my two least favorite Star Wars movies. They, even then, it it doesn't matter. They 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 hit certain elements, and I'm a kid again. And um, and and that said, I obviously had very high expectations for Rise of Skywalker. Um, it's I walked out and said I love it. It was great. I loved it. In the hours following it, I found myself starting to like. Take pick it apart a little bit and find things that like bothered me about it in a way that I hadn't done with a previous Star Wars movie. Uh-huh. Um, before I before I was like subjected uh, to like all of my Facebook friends uh, showing off that they just learned the phrase plot hole. Um, 
everybody became like these armchair movie critics in the past few years because yeah. of Facebook. Yeah. Um, but then I went and saw it a second time after I like I let it settle and I went and saw it a second time and I was like, no, to hell with that. It's it's awesome. I liked it so much more the second time. I it's it, it's it's Star Wars. It's yep. it's it's what uh, gives me joy. And I think that's, I mean, I have a friend who does video essays on YouTube and he says it's a, a movie about space wizards for children. And he's absolutely right. Like at the end of the day, if you're mad that your Star Wars isn't as good as your old Star Wars, maybe mm-hmm. find something else to like. I don't know. Like, you know, I constantly want to like, again, there's like these like four phrases that <laughs> that that sort of empowered everybody to think that they were these amateur film critics. And yeah. I always want to like when I see their posts, I always want to slip in and say like, OK, so it's got pacing problems and, and good copy paste. But what's the pacing problem that you had? But I don't do that because I don't care enough to engage some stranger and fight with them about Star Wars. Thank God. It's like it's it's something that I don't want to fight with people about. It's it's like my safe space. Yeah, uh, I can go enjoy it. I can watch people be shitty about it online, and it doesn't it doesn't need to affect me. I got what I needed out of it. Yeah, no, I totally agree, and I think that's why while other people didn't like Cal Kestis, I thought he was a perfectly fine protagonist, and I enjoyed that game and its story. Um, I think you'll appreciate this when you there's a for the listener if you haven't played there's a moment where Cal gets to choose his lightsaber, his kyber crystal, um, uh-huh. and you have to select it. You're in the Jedi Temple, and you have to decide which crystal you choose to put in your lightsaber. I did not know until after that all of those options become available and you can change it whenever you want. So I painstakingly scrolled through that list back and forth for a good 10 minutes going like, well, I like, oh, me this, too. Co- like, I like this color, oh, but I've, I've never used this color before. And I kept thinking like that was going to be it. I was going to be done and I couldn't change it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I did the same thing. I did the same thing. Uh, which I think is hilarious because then, of course, you get back to the ship and you can edit your lifesaver and I see all the colors and went, fuck, damn it. <laughs> I, I I agree with you. I thought Cal Kestis was a good character and I liked his the, the story that they'd written for him. I was a little distracted at the beginning because it's because it's an actor who is whose face is familiar and that, that bothered me. I uh-huh. wanted it to be somebody that I didn't know. And also... You know, the thing that I most associate with that actor was his portrayal of the Joker or or, or Jerome, rather. In from, Gotham, um, yeah. From Gotham. And I, I did not <laughs> like his performance on that show, so I found it really distracting at first. But then um, – but I got over it, and then he just became Cal Kestis. But I think a really, a really uh, amazing performance in that game was the one from Deborah Wilson. Oh, my God, who used yes. to be Who used to be on Mad TV – Oh, yeah, I've forgotten, like, so her, the whole time, like, or about halfway through the game, I'm looking at her, I'm like, you look so familiar, I know I know you, and so I finally break, and I IMDB her, and see that it's Deborah Wilson, who I knew, of course, from Mad TV, Um, and, like, I was just blown away, absolutely, completely blown away by her performance in that game. I thought, like, easily one of the MVPs in it, and, like... I forget that she was in MTV, uh, Mad TV, just because it's been so long. Yeah, yeah, I'd forgotten too, and uh, glad to see she's still working, and, and um, more than happy to welcome her to Star Wars canon for sure. I mean, it's at a point though, like with a lot of those Mad TV actors, I forget. Like Phil Lamar, at this point, I don't think of him as the UPS guy. I think of him as um, John uh, um, John Smith, uh, the Green Lantern. I think of him as Samurai Jack. I think of him as oh, yeah. Gambit in the Wolverine video game. Like, yeah, he's yeah. D- done all these great voices, but he's also still the same same bobbing and weaving guy from M- from Mad TV. I keep wanting to say MTV. That's something different. That is a, that is a very different thing. That that is a, a, a an archaic channel of a, t- a time long lost where they used to play music videos on TV. And where if you are, uh, I don't know, like some middle-aged crank, you will still complain on Facebook periodically. MTV, I haven't watched that since they played music. <laughs> it's been like 20 years. Just, just, just take a long nap, Pops. It's you've, you've reached the end of your story. Yeah, I, in the last, uh, I'd say, for sure the last two years or so, I've gotten so exhausted by the uh, endless complaining on social media that I've had to shift my consumption of it because it just bums me out half the time oh yeah me too i still i still lurk and i still (laughs) check in on people who upset me but i don't really post much on social media anymore unless i'm promoting something i just i don't have the i don't have the energy for it anymore i i felt like it consumed way too much of my time 
Yeah, it definitely uh-huh. it definitely does. I feel like yeah. Twitter's been better for me because I'm content with like putting things out in the world and letting them go. And I found a community of gamers on Twitter that I get along really well with. But like Facebook, for the most part, I'll check in. But I do the same, like you say, like I lurk. I'll post occasionally, but unless I'm promoting something. And and even then, like I have a professional page, whatever that means now, uh, to promote that <laughs> stuff on. So I tend to... Uh, Unless I'm promoting a show. Like, speaking of shows, like that transition. Yes. Um, good work, good work. I, I do what I can. I wanted to say the fifth... Solid an- transition. <laughs> I wanted to say the fifth annual, but there were two last year, so it's not the fifth annual, because... No. It, but it's just the fifth installment of Tasselmania. Um, Tasselmania. The incredible production that you and Bunny put together. Well, I, let's be fair, that Bunny puts together that you're a huge part of. Um, mm-hmm. That uh, honors wrestling and burlesque in the same show uh, that I am honored to be a part of every year. Um, I, am so, I get so excited about this show <laughs> every time there's a new one because, like you, growing up watching wrestling... The nonsense that I know is about to bleed over onto Facebook that I do check in for when all of us Uh jump into character and become these incredibly ridiculous, over-the-top, awesome folks. Um, And I know that's breaking KFAB a little bit. Um, (laughs) But uh, I have to say that, like, it's some of my favorite hosting I've ever seen you do because it's a different kind of hosting, right? Because you're... You're in the interim between these things and you're in the act of it. Do you just feel like a kid in a candy store? During that show, oh, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's it's like you said, yeah, it's not a conventional hosting gig. Um, like it, all of the years that I, leading up to uh, Bunny and I, you know, creating Tasselmania, um, that was all just like none of that is nearly as satisfying as <laughs> Tasselmania. It's like the culmination of everything, and it's it's the most fun. Um, it's the most fun burlesque show to be a part of, and uh, it's it's way more work than any other show I've ever been a part of because the 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 work the months leading up to it is is very chaotic and demanding, creating like video packages and promos and posters and, and things. But it's I don't it's 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 unlike any other show, and it's it's such a love letter to wrestling from burlesque. It's it's. I I I will keep doing this as long as she is in to keep to continue doing this because it's it's uh yeah it's 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 a lot of fun and yeah and yeah uh, Tasselmania five is coming up in April yep and uh, yeah pretty soon there'll be a Tasselmania four recap video so watch watch your social media for that it's it's on the way and it's you, in the can it's in the can um and it's the, in the can the, the the promos also i have to say hold a special place on my heart just because of like it's just all of it like you know and especially like i think it was last year you did a promo that was just you and it was multiple use on <laughs> on a green screen just saying tonight on test like just yeah that do you do you edit the promos? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. Uh, editing the editing the promos is one of my jobs, and uh, you know, by the time we get to the end of uh, promo season, which is the the period of time that Bunny and I refer to, once we hang up a green screen and set up lights until we have shot the last frame of the last superstars promo. Um, by the time I get to the end of it, um, I'm a little punchy and weird. And there's always got to be one left. The, the one that says, like, tomorrow night. Right. Those get a little bit weirder each Tasselmania. Um, and like, I, I recall one, you throw a trash can at yourself at one point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just. Yeah. It's just fun. It warms. <laughs> I haven't even I, I haven't even thought of what the weird one's going to be this time. Um, but they're, they're, they're going to have, like, they've we've. I, I, again, I don't want to give away too much. Sure, they're going to have um, many of them are going to have a slightly different look and feel than previous. I feel like oh, cool. We have we found a way to keep kind of um, like we definitely by the time we got to the second one, we we found a rhythm. But I feel like we have not really stuck to it. We we keep like kind of adding elements and and pushing it forward, and it it keeps kind of evolving with each one. And and I think that that is what makes it so satisfying and rich. Like we could just like use the template from the second one and just keep repeating that. 
but that's not fun and that's not exciting for the audience and it's not as exciting for us. So I, I feel like we keep kind of uh, trying to enrich that story with new twists and turns each time. And uh, we got a doozy in <laughs> store for this one. I can't wait. Uh, I've said it to Bunny multiple times, and I'll say it to you. It's easily one of the best shows I ever DJ ever. Uh, there are a few peaks in my DJing career, and being able to be a part of that nonsense and that 10-page stage direction sheet that I get, uh, it, it makes me happy and anxious in the best way every time because I just I love being a part of it and seeing it happen. It's it's one of the most phenomenal ideas for a burlesque show ever, uh, and I will never stop loving being a part of it. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It's it's fun that it's also fun for the people who are involved. Yeah. I mean, that's the goal, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, um, I'm going to now ask you a very cheesy question because I don't know that I've gotten a chance to ask you this, but as someone who's been doing nerd rap for as long as you have and emceeing and uh -huh. hosting as long as you have, if you could give one piece of advice to someone who's just starting to put together rap music or pursue a career in the arts, what would that piece of advice be? What's something that you maybe didn't know when you started out that you would suggest or give to someone who's just starting out now? Wow. Um, I think uh, this one's going to be very specific to to nerd rap, but it's it's the same. It's probably the piece of advice I have given um, the most, um, which is just, you know, do your homework. <laughs> you know, I, I know people get inspired by I, I know that in, in nerd rap, people get inspired by um maybe me or some of my peers and they, they like what we do. And so they sit out there, they set out to create like nerd rap and none of us did that. We grew up on hip hop. Um, and then we just decided that like the nerdy stuff was the thing that was the kind of, those are the kind of stories that we could most easily sink our teeth into because they were the things we felt most passionately about. But at the core of it, there's still, um, there's still a foundation that is based on, on, classic hip-hop and and having followed where that art form has gone over the years and so i think most frequently when i find somebody asking me like if if i wanted to become a nerd rapper what would i do and i would say well stop saying that stop saying you want to be a nerd rapper and, and just become a rapper and just go listen to cool modi and krs1 and tribe called quest and 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 continue listening to the evolution of that art form through the ages until you find um until it is a part of your blood and then you find that thing that you are the most excited talking about and then do it in in meter and rhyme but don't set out being like i am going to aim to do this niche art form without learning kind of where it came from and and record covers you know when i was when you took art classes you would have like those sections of, of your like in your syllabus where you would study old masters and they would pull out a bunch of like Da Vinci sketches and you would have to like draw them. So you would kind of learn how like the old masters like created artwork. Do that shit. <laughs> You've got multi-tracking software. There's a billion instrumentals online. Dig up some slick Rick songs and, and record them and you'll understand where he made decisions to breathe and where he put rhymes and, and, and that would really help you. And then the other thing to, I, I guess to make it a little bit broader I would say to anybody getting into any kind of art form um, is that we feel that we are entitled to an audience by virtue of the fact that we can create something and that we can put it out in front of people online. And I think that a lot of people now will kind of like they'll they'll learn some multi-tracking software. They'll like record one song and they'll put it on the Internet and say, like, I am a musician now and this is my song. I think before you do that, before you release a song, before you release a film, before you release a short story, go make 20 of that thing. Yes. And then release the 21st one. Release a bunch of stuff that you're just doing because you are learning a craft and not because it's being created with the intent of being put in front of an audience. Go out and make a bunch of stuff. And then after you've made a whole bunch of stuff, then start sharing it. But until then, let it be just your own personal process. I love that. That's great. That's so awesome. 
uh, as someone who wishes he could unrelease the first 50 episodes of this podcast, because even though the guests were phenomenal, the recording quality and some other stuffs, maybe not so much. Uh, I totally get that. Like creating yeah. for the sake of creating to get the muscles going, to learn how to do it. Uh, it's awesome. You know, I, I first, I, I, I first started making rap songs before the internet and I was making them on a four track and I recorded a, an album of 30 songs and I have never released those 30 songs because nobody should ever hear those 30 <laughs> songs. There's a reason why they are locked in a vault because they like helped me kind of learn techniques, but that's not material that I would ever share with anybody ever. Not ever, ever, even on a Patreon, a low Patreon month. I'll say this. I, I will go back and remind myself that I said I don't like to use the word never when it comes to my art. So maybe someday I'll pick the least terrible of those 30 songs and release like a snippet of it as a Patreon bonus, but, okay. but no promises. Okay, fair enough. Well, uh, Schaefer, this has been amazing. Thank you for taking the time. Um, I would like you to start by telling folks where they can find you on the internet and find your Patreon and the best place to buy your records um, and pretty much just share where they can find you all over the interwebs. Uh, the the single best place to find me on the internet is SchaeferTheDarkLord.com. It's basically just a lot of links to everything you need. You'll, you'll find links to my Twitter and Instagram and Spotify and Bandcamp and all all of my social media presences. Um, and then, of course, my my Patreon, too. But you can go directly to my Patreon at patreon.com slash Schaefer the Dark Lord. Awesome. Excellent. Go do that. Join. It's worth it. I can speak from personal experience. Um, the last thing I'll have you do is wrap up the show, as we always do, by doing the sign-off, which is music is life and life is good. Okay. Ready? Like, what, I just go? Just go. <sighs> music is life and life is good. That's it for this episode of Crash Chords Autographs. Our theme music is by Michael Kill. Our logo was designed by Case Aiken and Joey Amans. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and Facebook. You'll help us reach more listeners. Questions, comments, or guest recommendations? Email matt.storm at crashchords.com or hit us up on Twitter at Crash Chords Web. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Victor Devon, and I am the host of We Burlesque, the podcast. Every Monday, I talk to fabulous denizens of nightlife, including burlesque performers, both seasoned and new to the form, drag performers, performance artists, DJs, and artists who make up their respective scenes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Please visit weburlesque.com to check out episode recaps and see all the formats available. And remember that music is life. Life is good. <laughs>